Excellence Expected, the inspirational business advice podcast. Well, hello there, you fine podcasty businessy folk. Thank you for joining me, Mark Asquith, with Excellence Expected once again. Now, on the show before, we've spoken about superhero syndrome. That is where you just will not let things go. You have to control everything. But what happens when you take that further? What happens when you actually will never, ever let enough of your business go to let it grow and develop its full potential. It's a real problem that so many of us have in our small businesses. And that is exactly the problem that we're going to define, challenge and conquer today. And joining me to help me uh, challenge this issue is someone that has really managed to grasp the fine art of balancing this kind of control with letting things grow and flourish. So it gives me great pleasure to welcome to the show the owner, the founder of the MCM Creative Group, Mr. Neil Crespin. How are you, sir? Good morning, Mark. Very well indeed. Thank you. Very well indeed. Excellent stuff. Fantastic. Now, before we dive in, we were talking the pre-interview patter. You are newly awarded, aren't you, at MCM Creative Group? So tell us a little bit about that. That's a, it's an interesting one. Yeah, a bit of a <laughs> bit of a kind of positive start to uh, to things. So um, we um, we've never entered any awards before, actually, and uh, part of that has been my uh, sort of stoicism to um, to sort of continue to sort of fly under the uh, the radar a little bit. But um, we uh, we did a great piece of work um, uh, in 2014 for um, the John Lewis Group, who was celebrating their. Um, uh, 150th anniversary, which is obviously a, a landmark uh, event for any business. Um, I, I'm grateful to make it to 15 years, let alone 150. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so uh, it was a great project, um, and um, we delivered an amazing uh, event. Even though I say it myself, but um, it was an in- incredible atmosphere, um, big live event that we did up in Birmingham for 10,000 people, 10,000 uh, partners from, uh, from John Lewis. And we thought it was just one of those things that comes along once in a, not a once in a lifetime, I think maybe, but once in a, in a, in a good old decade, you know? Um, so we actually uh, entered it in for a couple of the uh, industry awards, event magazine, CNIT or our, or our trade press. And uh, we've won uh, best uh, uh, creative event of the year which is great for a creative agency um, and internal communications event of the year as well in the last couple of weeks. And tonight we're uh, without time dating your podcast too much. You can always edit this out if it's inappropriate, but tonight we're up for one of the uh, PR week uh, awards as well in London. Um, tonight. So it might be a, it might be a hat trick of awards within three weeks, which would be incredible. Happily, I'd happily stop my award entry process after that. That's fantastic. Well, congratulations, and I'm sure Thank it will you. be a hat trick. You're right, absolutely. You'd, you'd withdraw from all awards races after that hat trick. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a great boost for the business. I'd never really kind of uh, uh, estimated the uh, the positive impact that it has um, on maybe the people who don't get the um, the glory all the time. You know, with, with any agency, there's uh, there's hierarchy, and uh, uh, and obviously it's pretty easy for uh, for the likes of myself and the senior leadership team to be in the afterglow of a of a great event and to to, to reap some of the the verbal uh, and sometimes physical rewards that um, that doing a good job for a client 
provides you. Uh, but actually, do you know what? It's it's the people who don't get the pat on the back sometimes who um, who actually got a real lift from from coming home from a couple of those trade events with the. Um, with the trophy and uh, has taken pride of place in the office or they have taken pride of place in the office and, and, and people are very, very chipper about it. So it, it's great. That's great all around. Yeah. It's great news for the entire team. And that's, that's amazing. So yeah. let's talk about MCM then. Obviously we're, we're talking about the issue of, of realizing when to let just enough of the business go to let it grow and actually develop to its full potential. So let's talk about that in the context of you and MCM. When did you realize this was a problem? And, you know, you know, how did that affect MCM? And what's the kind of background to, to this topic, if you like? Yeah, I, I, I think in a way I was quite lucky. And I guess you have to just listen to people who've, who've done this through luck, who've done it through skill and somewhere in, the, in between the two. But I think I was, um, I, I was in a position where we were slightly forced into doing it really by the um, the relative onslaught of uh, of the recession um, in two thousand and eight stroke nine, um, and basically, I think I'd taken the business at that stage, but perhaps hadn't recognised the fact that I'd taken the business as far as I could as a creative owner. Now, I never set out to own or run a business like so many of us running small to medium sized businesses. We fell into it. We seem to be in the right place at the right time or the wrong place at the wrong time, depending how it's gone for you. But um, I was never trained in managing a team um, and uh, with a background that was really just constituted different creative roles. Um, I knew what I wanted to deliver from a business, from a creative aspect. So you go into these things without really maybe the preparation, the planning that you uh, that you need, particularly if you're a creative person, because creative people generally don't think with the right side of their brain to, 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 to manage process and systems in the same way as somebody who manages with the other side of their brain. So we had a creative business. We'd done very well through the, uh, through the uh, early noughties from sort of 2001 when I, owned, when I took sole ownership of the business. Before that, we'd been part of a small group. So sort of 10, 12 years into the run, um, everything was going very well. So we had a great list of clients. We had really, really strong personal relationships with a lot of key decision makers within those clients. I think clients back then, and we're only, of course, talking about five or six years ago, but pre-recession, um, clients were more willing to spend. Um, they were more willing to uh, link and sustain relationships with um, with with suppliers like ourselves um, and procurement and systems and processes weren't a particularly important part of the sale. So what we were able to do was rely on um, a support network, if you like, of senior people within big businesses that we were linking with who knew us for maybe having worked with that business for three, four, five years, always delivering great projects on time, on budget, et cetera, et cetera, on message. And that's how our world went round then. And, and, and I would genuinely get calls from people in fairly senior marketing positions within businesses who would ring and say, hey, Neil, it's, it's conference time or it's project X time. And, you know, can you come in and talk to us about it? We've got X amount of spend, you know, money to spend. What, what do you think we should do? So the actual process of winning work and, uh, and, and sustaining client relationships was fairly easy. I'm generalizing because obviously within that there were challenges and you still were only as good as the last job you ever did and it was all project, project, project. So 
planning a business uh, strategy was still quite difficult, but um, what was made quite easy was if you like the sales process. So at that stage, I felt quite competent in managing a business under those rules of engagement. Um, what I didn't really do particularly well by my own admission is is plan a structure. So what would happen is that I'd look around every every quarter, every six months or every year even and think, blimey, there's 12 of us now. How did that happen? And then the next time it would be, God, there's, uh, there's 18 of us now. Crumbs, how did that happen? And then suddenly there's 25 of us and you've got a wage bill of a million pounds and you've got overheads of office space, et cetera, et cetera. And, 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 and I, I am sort of perhaps over-exaggerating my incompetence, if you like, because obviously there was some clear um, definition of what we were doing, trying to do as a business. It was perhaps behind the scenes that we were less organized and we were successful at it. So we were making a little bit of money. Um, our margins were okay. Um, and we had a, a, a good core team. What happened uh, almost overnight, as uh, those of you who are in business and yourself, Mark, will remember, um, the Northern Rock story started to gather a, a lot of momentum. Um, we woke up on a Saturday morning to see certainly something I'd never seen in my lifetime, which was people queuing up outside a recognized, reputable high street bank uh, to take their money out for fear of, uh, of losing it. And, uh, and that was quite a wake-up call. We were also working quite heavily at that time with uh, a couple of businesses within the banking sector, financial sector, one of whom was RBS. And, of course, RBS were, unfortunately for us, next uh, in the line of banks that, that took a big uh, hit, big run on, uh, on, on RBS. Um, so RBS made it quite clear that they weren't going to be perhaps procuring the sort of work that we'd been doing with them for a good sort of four or five years. And it just was a wake-up call really to, to make me realize that actually when this all settled down, and at that time, of course, not many of us really had much experience of, of running businesses in a downturn. And we were unsure how long this was going to take. Was this going to be six months? Is it going to be six years? No one really knew. So I think what I realized then um, was that whatever and however doing business came back after the recession, it was never going to be the same as it was. Sure, I'd still have, you know, luckily I uh, still have four or five, six or seven key account holders working within those businesses. But I think, I guess that their hands were going to be far more tied in terms of being able to pick up the phone and say, hey, come on down and do this bit of business for us. It was more likely to be, we've hardly got any money, but we need to do something. And would you please talk to our procurement team? Now, procurement teams generally, and, and it is a generalization, but procurement teams generally aren't going to talk the same sort of language as creative people, a little bit like oil and water. So what I realized was that I didn't have anybody in the business who really understood um, the uh, procurement process. Um, we didn't, as a business, have great systems and processes. We had systems and processes that had evolved to fit how we worked rather than working um, to fit our processes, which I think is a, is a better way around to do it. So at that point, working with my uh, external accountants, who were a great team, um, who supported me through some fairly lean times in late 2008 and 2009, um, I decided to take on a managing director. And this was really the key to uh, what uh, became the, the topic that, that, that you want to uh, um, access today, which is this, um, I guess, in its grandest title, you'd call it succession planning. Uh, and, and in perhaps the way we did it, 
you'd look at bringing uh, someone to uh, get you out of a hole. So I looked within my um, network group of somebody that I could uh, trust because obviously effectively you're handing over the keys of a business, although you're still there. You need to have the faith and the confidence in that person to bring them into the business and not micromanage every single decision um, that they do um, away from them because otherwise you're wasting your time and money on bringing somebody in. So I was very lucky to find somebody who, um, and I, I was quite specific that I didn't want somebody from within our industry. I didn't want somebody from within our industry who knew how to run an events business or a creative agency. I just needed somebody to know how to run a business. I had enough people around me who knew how to do what they were doing. We just needed to do it in a more organized and structured way to make, to, um, to match with the needs and demands of what was going to happen in, in, in our business relationships with clients moving forward. So I recruited somebody from completely outside our sector, a lady called Nikki Milligan, who came from a blue-collar recruitment business. So she couldn't be further further removed from uh, from the creative agency that we ran. But she came into the business in 2009. Um, uh, after a series of interviews, I interviewed her. Our accountants interviewed her. She met some of the, the team here. Um, and she transferred from her industry into ours. And that was where the fun began. As someone that runs a creative agency, everything that you've said there resonates so, so true. It's You mentioned something quite early on in the chat where you, you said, you know, you'd never actually trained to be a manager of people. You actually didn't intend to set up a business up where you run a team of people. And that that in itself brings challenges. And I think you're absolutely right insofar as when things in terms of contracts or in terms of business or in your case, the recession bit, when something like that occurs, you often don't know where to turn, do you? You often kind of, you, you fall back on your haunches and you stick to what you know, which a lot of the time for a creative owner is to be a creative person. And you're right, it's not always the way through. You can't navigate that path, can you? Because you don't, frankly, you don't have any experience doing it. And how was that for you, Neil? When you, when you actually came to the decision to hire someone and look outside of your industry, what was that journey like for you personally? How did you feel about that? And what was, what was the kind of emotional state you were in with that? Uh, it goes back to my very long-winded answer to your first question, really, which was what was it that sort of prompted you to, uh, to make the decision to bring somebody in? As I say, at that stage, I almost didn't make the decision myself. The business as an entity made it for me because I just knew that I didn't have the skill set to take the business through to the next stage. What we now talk about is MCM2. So MCM1 being the sort of the intervening period before um, 2009 when Nikki joined. And it's a very, it's an almost unrecognizable business in terms of the systems and processes and goals and decision-making processes that we, we have in place um, now, which makes it very, very fit for the future, um, which it wasn't at the stage that I kind of had total um, control of it. So how it made me feel was uh, on one hand, um, without doubt, relieved. It's a very lonely place running a business. Um, you obviously have a little bit of support from, or a lot of support from those around you, but they don't own it. They don't go home at night worrying about it as much as you do. They don't have their house or their, um, their uh, equity uh, tied up um, in um, uh, 
in underpinning the business. They don't have the relationships with the banks um, and they don't have the day-to-day -day worry that you do. Um, and it's a very lonely place. And a lot of um, men, particularly, um, aren't great at sharing that loneliness and, and, and ergo sort of making it less lonely. Um, and also men, I think, generally worry more about being seen as, as failing, uh, or fail sorry, and men generally worry more about failing and being seen as, as failures, not failing as in the whole thing collapsing and, uh, and, and, and going out of business. That's a, that's a different thing. But even to be able to sort of show, uh, demonstrate a weakness and things like that. And I think once I got past that kind of hurdle of, of the, um, any, any sort of personal emotion around that, I was absolutely on board that this would actually make my life easier. I was absolutely, um, uh, under the cosh in terms of trying to manage the cash, trying to manage the bank, trying to manage the client relationships, trying to manage staff, because no matter how well you um, um, hide things or you try and manage things internally, people are aware. People know how much work you've got on the slate. People know whether they were busier this time last year than they are this year. People know. And uh, and obviously, at the time that I was going through all this, 2009, Every, almost every single business in the country, if not the world, was going through this same downturn. It's not that far away. You know, you just have to, anybody listening to this just has to remember back. And I watch, uh, I tend to watch sort of Sky News or BBC News in the morning. And every morning there was a story about uh, big companies, you know, far bigger than my company, uh, big companies going out of business, closing down, shutting down this division, making a thousand people redundant, making 8,000 people redundant. And, and, and whilst that's not nice, it's not a back, nice backdrop, it's not a great environment to do business, it kind of made you feel a little bit better because, you know what, that's exactly what we were going through as well. So I kind of, with very little effort, got myself onto the right page to let go and know if I brought the person in, she, in my instance, would take a lot of the responsibility and concern away from me. So almost overnight, uh, uh, and when, uh, when Nikki joined the business, um, that loneliness um, was halved, if you like. So I had sort of uh, somebody there that could share some of that, that stress with me. So I didn't find it too difficult to start the process of letting go because it came from a premise of wanting to do it. I think the harder thing would have been um, being forced to do it. I can't understand under what, excitement, what circumstances you, you might be forced to do it, but um, unless there was maybe some shareholders that, that, that pushed to do that. Um, so, so for me, it was, it was welcomed with open, open arms. I think the more interesting sort of um, chapter, if you like, of that is once that person's in, is finding the equilibrium of you and them working together. And that was our bigger challenge. And speaking of that, that that's kind of where I was going to go next, actually. When you brought Nikki in, more specifically, what was the impact on the business? Because obviously the, the, there's finding the balance between you two guys. You've got the team members as well getting used to a new MD. When you put all that together, what was the actual outcome? What have been the positives that have come out of that, Neil? Well, uh, in terms of, uh, of the positives, I guess, from a business perspective, and if I take my creative hat off and you know, we're all in business to make money, uh, we had our three most profitable years for the first three years that Nikki joined the business. So um, from 2000 to 2009, we'd, we'd, we'd done okay, but 
2010, 11, and 12, we made more money in those three years than we made in the previous 10. Wow. Well, there's your testament right there. And how was the team? How did the team find this? You know, effectively, someone coming in. You mentioned hierarchy earlier on, and although on the ground sometimes it doesn't seem like it, at the end of the day, Nikki came in and she was the MD. How, how was that with the team and how did you handle the explanation? Did you, did you talk to them about the reasons? You know, what was that, what was that like? Yeah, so I had um, a series of sort of meetings with, uh, with the key sort of um, decision makers and stakeholders, if you like, in the business. And I explained um, as best I could, you know, where we were, where I felt we were going the story that I've just told you guys about, you know, the business would never be the same again post the recession or our industry would never be the same again. It wasn't just our business. It was, it was relevant to, to, to many businesses in our sector, many of whom went under, you know, it was a, it was a tough time for anybody in the creative services agencies. Uh, it was very tough because obviously I'm not sure it's true, but the old adage is that, you know, marketing and events and things like that first thing to go in a recession I'm not sure that's true, um, but it made a big excuse for a lot of people who actually didn't manage their businesses right uh, or correctly um, through the recession. So um, I made sure that, that everybody knew why Nikki was joining um, and the reason, the rationale behind it. Um, a lot of people uh, in the business welcomed it. Some people didn't, and some people took it as an opportunity to move on to, to a business that, that they felt they were better in. Because for a lot of creative people, accepting change, accepting different ways of working is quite an emotional thing. And creative people tend to be very emotional. And what Nikki was bringing with us was, a, if you like, a, a real, um, a, a bigger dose of realism. So she came in with a very tough remit. She said, you know, you can't carry on running the business with the numbers as they are. You can't carry on running the business in the, uh, the way that you are because the world has changed. And, uh, and, and this is how I, I plan to do it. So the next step in that communication process internally was that she then put together a communications plan internally that said, right, this is where we need to be in six months. This is where we need to be in a year. This is what we need to do to achieve that. The hardest part of that was letting some people go. We had to uh, we had to uh, reduce our headcount. But as I say, against a backdrop of um, bigger businesses, uh, far more famous businesses than us doing that, it was as comfortable as that process can ever be. And it's it's not a not a comfortable process. A lot of people, as I say, uh, were doing that all over the uh, all over the world. So Nikki came in. We had a clear communications program. We made that uh, quite transparent for everybody. I think the worst thing to do would have been to have done all of this with subterfuge. So she came in with a very clear um, remit. Um, those people who embraced it have embraced it brilliantly, are still here, um, and now recognize that the way we're doing business at MCM is the way that a modern, sharp, creative agency has to work um, in, uh, in, in, this, uh, in, in, in this period. Very interesting. I like the idea of the comms plan as well, you know, Nikki coming in and, and actually laying out where we need to be. And specifically, this is how we're going to get there because that, that can be quite challenging sometimes. You know, it's, it's coming into a new business is not easy. So I think that's very impressive. Let's actually dive in now to the three actionable tips that you've put together. I know you've been working hard on three ways that people, if they're perhaps struggling in their small business, can help themselves learn to let go just a little bit more, just to give themselves that bit of room to breathe. So if we may, sir, let's dig into actionable tip number one. Yeah, um, I think the very obvious thing is 
don't just recruit people underneath you. That's very interesting. You see that quite a lot, actually. You know, you see the, uh, the, the often you see the quotes, something along the lines of A type people recruit A plus type people. You know, that's the most successful way to do it. And is that, is that something you learned? This is potentially sounds like a loaded question, but it's not. Is that something that you learned the hard way? Is it something that you found intuitive? Was there a reason for kind of coming up with that? I actually had um, I actually had a guy who was, if you like, my um, very uh, informal mentor in business. Um, a guy called David Richards, who uh, ran a business or runs a business called um, ProDrive, um, who are um, leaders in the automotive business. They've also run racing teams and things like that. He was a very early client. He became a, a good friend as well, um, and he gave me probably uh, the, the best bit of advice to sort of, um, sorry, I've just lost my train of thought. Um, he gave me the possibly the best bit of advice really around this whole subject that we're talking about, which was always try to recruit people better than you. And if you can get past that emotional <laughs> blockage that some of us have of wanting to be the best person at everything within their business, which is so unrealistic and such a restrictor to growth, then you're going to do well. So when I say don't just recruit people underneath you, hierarchically underneath you, also don't just recruit people who um, you think you can manage and uh, you know, haven't quite got the, the same skills as you. Look for people who are better at everything than you are because that's the way that you'll grow your business. And that's a way that you will also find somebody within that group who can take over, who can run it when you don't want to. Yeah, I love that. That's really, really powerful. And the second actionable tip, please, sir. Yeah, was uh, understand what you aren't good at and understand it quickly. Do you think that we often sit on this too much do you think that we often worry about as you mentioned earlier especially being blokes this is this is, is so true we are so bad at understanding and actually communicating that we're not very good at something because our ego kicks in do you think we all just sit on that a little bit too long i think we do and i think there is a generalization that that, that, that men uh, men are, are bad at that we do have i think particularly in business we do have much bigger egos than women there was a joke uh, going well, not a joke i don't know whether you can call it a joke but a, a, an observation going around uh, around the time of the, uh, the 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 big banks you know getting into trouble and and would this have happened if it had been called lehman sisters um, and, uh, and, and I actually, I'd like to think that, 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 that maybe it, uh, it wouldn't. So I do think that you have to learn what you aren't good at and, and, uh, you know, what, what, what you're um, very cleverly doing, uh, Mark is leading me down a, um, a bit of a path of generalization. And I, and I guess for, for terms of sort of making a, a radio interview work, that's absolutely right. Because to generalize does illustrate the point in a, in a, in a better way. I don't think all men obviously are, uh, are in the same sort of egotistical trap that others are but i do believe that men in business find it much harder to admit uh, uh, failure defeat uh, or, or, or anything like that so i think if you can get on the page where you analyze what you are good at and naturally as running a business if you've got to a point where you're running a business it's doing well but it could do better then you must be doing something right and nikki i think would be the first to acknowledge that she has turned around what was a good business 
and gone and we've gone if you like on a journey from good to great and she's made our business great but she couldn't have done it without the heritage the history the client base the talent that we had in place that she then um, harnessed and, and, and grew so you can do that yourself you can do that without recruiting a managing director you can do that without uh, you know the, the the expense and effort of that but you have to identify where the gaps are within your skill sets and fill them and fill them quickly Love that. Fantastic. And the third and final actionable tip, please, Neil. Yeah, I, th- I think this sort of comes with uh, with everything I've said. And, and, and it's a big demonstration. Um, you have to demonstrate your ability to trust um, other people and, and those other people being the types of people we've just talked about, the people who are better than you, the people who you recruit in positions effectively higher than you. Uh, and identifying, you know, to fill the gaps that you're not good at as the owner, uh, manager of a business. And you have to demonstrate that and you have to go out of your way sometimes. And it comes back potentially to ego. You have to go out of your way to reward and recognize those people um, that they are doing a great job and that the people who have maybe been used to following you, um, hanging on your Every word, your every action now have to listen, respect and accept the instructions of new and different people in new and different roles. And you have a responsibility as ultimately the owner of the business and and their ultimate manager to make sure that you are making that a very seamless, easy transition and journey for both parties involved. You've got a you've got a duty of care to the people that you have got alongside you within a business. So your staff who may have been there since day one, and you've got a duty of care to the people that you've brought in and given a new role and a new position. And you are the conduit. You're the link. You're the glue. You're the person that needs to stand up and be loud and proud and make sure that everybody is working together to achieve ultimately what you as the owner manager have set out to do by bringing all those individuals in under that umbrella of your organization. Learn to demonstrate your ability to trust others. That is such a difficult thing to demonstrate, it's a very interesting point that you make. That demonstration, I think, is key because we, we all assume that we can do that, being an owner-manager of a small business, but the demonstration of it sometimes comes difficult because it's, it's the, the art of letting go. It's the art of passing something on. So I think that, again, is a really important point to make. Neil, that's, did, go on, sorry. So I was, was going to give you a sort of practical um, demonstration of that that people can, can use. Uh, it's a bit cheeky, but... Um, what what I learned to do was in uh, in meetings or decision making processes with that group of people that I've just described, I would actually throw in a, a sort of rogue idea, uh, which was clearly my idea. So I would champion it at uh, at an early stage, but knowing that uh, it really wasn't the idea that we should should move forward with, whether it was a, a creative idea or a business decision, which gives you the ability to actually then turn around and say, do you know what, John or Fred or Susan, I think we should go with your idea. And that's a really cheap way of actually demonstrating that that person is coming up with better ideas than you um, and that you're very happy to to, to sort of um, uh, hand over to them and, and, and their way of thinking and doing. 
It's a trust hack. I like that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> trust hack. Yeah. Super stuff. Neil, that has been such a great chat. I've really, really enjoyed that. And I think for a lot of people listening out there, and certainly for myself as well, there's a lot to take from that in terms of when to realise that perhaps you do need to just let go of the reins a little bit. So thank you so much for that. And just before we pop a pin in that and wrap things up, where can people connect with you online, please? Yeah, so I obviously have um, the usual uh, LinkedIn uh, profile. I've got uh, Twitter, so all of that is uh, is just under my uh, name of Neil uh, Crespin, which is the spelling with an E, not an I in, in Crespin. People always get that as Crispin, um, but it's Crespin with an E. Um, and um, uh, they can link to me through our website, which is uh, mcmcreativegroup.com. Uh, so, yeah, the usual, uh, the usual. F- suite of uh, online uh, access points and uh, be delighted to to hear from anybody who uh, can maybe you know give me some uh, some advice and guidance as well you uh, you never stop learning in this game i figure absolutely absolutely not that's that's where it's at i've got to keep pushing the mind forward well neil thank you so much once again sir it's been a real pleasure Pleasure. I enjoyed it. Thank you. Guys, don't forget, if you need anything, any of the links that Neil has mentioned, any of the discussion points, any of Neil's fantastic quotes, don't forget you can get those at excellence-expected.com. And whilst you're over there, there's a whole range of small business content ready to help you excel. Check it out when you get a chance. Don't forget, guys, until next time, the more you expect from yourself, the more you will excel. Bye-bye for now.